You're listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. set out to do things is is different. Um, I've, I've never been a part of a church that uh, does things the way we do them. Um, I've never been a part of a church that's like ex- been explicitly clear that we're trying to actually do the Great Commission. Um, that, that, that's, that's, that's all we're trying to do, actually. Uh, I've, never, I've never been a part of something with that much clarity. And so it's, it's, it's not lost on me that when we talk about um, trying to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus, that language may be different for you. And the idea of like the, the goal of the church, the goal of the, the, the kingdom is, is to raise up disciple makers. Who are then gonna raise up disciple makers? Who raise up disciple makers? Like this whole thing, right? Like that's a little bit different. And so some of the things that we ask, ask and invite people into uh, are, are new. Right? And so being a disciple maker for a lot of us is, is a new thing. I think, I, I mean, I grew up around church and what I was kind of invited into, I mean, I don't know if it was explicit or if I just inferred it, but what I was invited into was to come and be, be at something. And it was kind of, I, I walked away with kind of the idea that if I, if I just showed up at enough things, then that was me hitting the expectations or something and like that was going to be enough. And like, that's not what we're asking. We're looking into scripture and seeing that God's saying, no, like we're, we're called to actually walk out the stuff that we say about him in practical ways in our ordinary day-to-day lives. Sharing the gospel, making him known, doing the work of raising up disciple makers. So being discipled ourselves and turning around and doing that same thing as somebody else and helping them move towards Jesus, learn to walk well with Jesus, and then send them out to go do the exact same thing. That's how we accomplish the Great Commission. So I, it's not... it. it like, I remember when I told my mom and dad, who are part of my church, which is weird to be your parents' pastor. They're not here this morning, so I can say that. Um, it's, it's a strange thing. Like, I, mean, I talked to my dad, you know, my, it's, it's my dad, you know, and I'm just like, this is what I want you to, I want you to learn how to lead a huddle. And I want you to disciple some, some people. I want you to help them figure out how to walk well with, with Jesus and, like, just give them everything that God's poured into you. And he's looking at me like I've got six heads, and he's like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about, right? But it's, it's a new thing. I think sometimes there's, there's always a little bit of discomfort learning new things. Can you remember the last time you learned something like completely new to you? You weren't building on previous experiences, like you started from scratch and learned a thing? Was it comfortable? You wanna hear a story? Allison and Drew have been around us long enough that I get to tell stories about them now. So Allison's here with us this morning. Um, and so I remember one time I was a student pastor up in Huntsville at the church that I was at for like a decade. And Allison was a teenager in my student ministry. And uh, one day, it was one of those nice, beautiful days and everybody's kind of outside before worship and we're kind of messing around this field and just having a good time and just chatting with folks. And I'm dressed like this. I got the jeans and the boots and the button down on because I don't change, I'm timeless. And uh, and so I'm sitting there with, with these, these but it's teenagers, and Allison's one of them, and she's got a friend Kara there, and they're sweet girls. And uh, somehow, the topic of backflips came up, um, and I just said, you know, made a statement of fact. I'm like, you know, I've I've always wanted to be able to do a standing back tuck, just always wanted to do that. And then Allison looked at me, and she's like, "Well, let's do it." You know what? You're right. 
And I trusted the wisdom of a 16-year-old girl and uh, decided, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to do this right now. 20 minutes before worship starts in jeans and a button-down. I'm going to learn how to do a back tuck because I'm timeless. Anyway, uh, so Allison's on one side of me, Kara's over here, and they're like, all right, this is what you're going to do. They kind of give me the 90-second rundown on how to do a back tuck. And they're like, we're going to spot you, 16-year-old girls. I'm like, what could go wrong? This is a brilliant idea. Jessica was nowhere to be found, so wisdom was lacking in the environment. Uh, And so I'm like, all right. And they told me what to do. Like, you just jump. You're going to just pull your knees up real hard. We're going to kind of help you spin. We're going to spot you. You're going to be just fine. I was like, let's go. So I jumped real hard, pulled my knees up real hard, like kind of tucked up. Can't see anything. Everything's just spinning around, apparently, when you do flips. And two 16-year-old girls got a hold of something on me, right? And I landed on my feet. Praise God. Let's go. You should be proud, right? Okay. Then I'm like, let's do it again. Let's do that again. Jumped real hard, knees up, tucked real hard. Everything spins around. I don't know what's going on. But somehow, they got a hold of something on me, landed on my feet. Did it like four or five times. I'm just throwing back tucks. I'm a professional back tucker. You know what I'm saying? And then on like number six, uh, now I don't know if it was Allison or if it was Kara, but whatever part of me that they were supposed to grab onto and make sure that I landed on my feet, one of them uh, lacked some dexterity or whatever and did not do that. So like number six, jump real hard, feet up, you know, teeth just spinning around, whatever. And then uh, I was not met with my feet on the ground. Um, uh, the, the, just like the, this, the whole like facial, like this area of my uh, body, um, that landed first, just like boom. I had like, I had like grass stains on my forehead. I'm bleeding, all right? My glasses are all jacked up, like they're bent, you know? And you remember what happens in 20 minutes? I'm about to go preach, bleeding with a grass stain on my face. And my jack, my, like, you know, it's all like this or whatever. And I'm just like, I, just, I think I saw to tell you about Jesus. I'm not really sure where I'm at right now. And Allison hates that story. But like, there's something about learning something new, right? There's, a, there's gonna be a level of discomfort, but you need to have some experience. You're gonna have to have some coaching. You're going to have to have spots, like when you do mess it up, somebody's going to be able to back you up. So when we invite you into becoming a disciple maker, I recognize that there's a level of discomfort. I recognize that there's some things you have no idea how to do. I recognize that there's going to be some moments as you start to step up as being a disciple maker, you're going to fall flat on your face and you need some people around you to back yourself up. We're trying to build a church that does that. And there's some complexity to that. So we've been walking through the book of Luke for a long time. In the first eight chapters, what we've seen in the book of Luke is Jesus inviting disciples in. He's inviting these 12 and inviting these, inviting these followers in to come alongside him and, and, and watch. And if you've grown up around church for a long time, you've been invited in to, to, to watch. And then in chapter 9, it starts to shift because Jesus doesn't say, I just want you to come watch. Now he starts to sin. Now he starts to engage. Now he starts to train. It's not about watching anymore. You get to Luke chapter 9 and beginning in verse 1, and all of a sudden the, the focus starts to shift from, from come and watch me do this to, okay, now why don't you try it? We start to get a picture of how Jesus trains disciple makers. And if, this, if, G, if there's a way that Jesus trained disciple makers, we need to know how to do the exact same things. Like if you want to be a disciple maker, you need to train like Jesus trained. That's what I want you to get to start to see this morning. So, disciples have been watching Focus starts to shift. 
Now Jesus is gonna, if like for the first time, he gives his disciples like a, a training exercise. All right, this is what it says in, in Luke chapter nine, verse one. It says, Jesus, he, he called the 12 together and he gave them some things. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, okay? And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, he said, all right, this time, take nothing with you on your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and don't bring an extra tunic. Whatever, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Wherever they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. The instructions in verse six says, all right, so, and they, de- they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. If you want to be a disciple maker, you got to train like Jesus trained. This isn't this, the permanent sending of the disciples. This is a, this is a training exercise. This is a short-term thing with some very specific instructions for them to learn some things. And he, he gives them some things. He withholds some things. He gives some instructions that are unique. Like that we, so I want you to get to see that. Because if you want to be a disciple maker, you got to train like Jesus trained. The first thing, like, so Jesus gave them some things, right? This is verse 1. He, he gave them, he provided some stuff. It says that he gave them power and authority. All right, so that's verse 1. He gave them, the, called the 12 together gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That, that should remind you, if you've been in here for a little while, we read the Great Commission at the end of every service, and Jesus begins, like the, the Great Commission, reminding them that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And so that sending in the Great Commission is preceded by this re- reminder that all the authority, all the power actually belongs to Jesus. Like, you don't have to be powerful. You don't have to have authority of yourself. Like, he's got enough. And so he says, like, I'm, I'm giving them, I'm giving you this power. I'm giving you authority from me. It's not on you. It's not about your skill set and how gifted and how incredible you are, right? I'm giving you mine. That's huge. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, I, I know you're not enough. Some of you that have been stepping into this disciple maker role, like you realize you're not enough. Maybe for the first time, or maybe the most significant way, you're starting to see, like, if this is what believers like followers of Jesus are supposed to be doing like I don't think I don't think I'm ready to do that completely I don't think I've been equipped to do that I think that I don't, I don't have the wisdom to do that great that's why Jesus is giving them the power and the glory because they didn't have enough either there's a restfulness in the gospel there's a restfulness in the way that Jesus leads us where he's not asking everything of you he's he's giving you everything you need that's different so Luke reminds us of like the, of the power of Christ before he says anything about the, the, the purpose of Christ. Before Jesus starts talking about the purpose and what to do and how to do it and all the tasks that need to be, before he says anything, I'm giving you everything that you need to do what I'm calling you into. Some of you are wrestling with what God's calling you into and there's some heavy things on you, some things that you've been hoping for or maybe terrified of. Like There's some things. I just want you to remind you that Jesus gives you the power and authority that you need to do what he calls you to do. He's not going to call you into something without giving you what you need to do it. There's a restfulness in that. So, gets that out there. And the Great Commission starts with the authority. I, I, I do wonder sometimes, like in, in a lot of these calling passages where Jesus starts with the authority and starts with that reminder, um, he doesn't end the passages that way. He always begins it. He always starts out at the outset with, hey, before, we, before we get talking about task and what to do, I want to remind you that I'm giving you what you need to do this. 
I think it's because we have very short attention spans and we forget that. We always, we want to rush to the task. We want to rush to what, okay, what am I supposed to do in two years? What am I supposed to do in six years? Like, what are, how are my kids going to, where are they going to go to college? My kid's like six. Like, what am I going to, I don't know. I want to know that right now. Jesus, tell me. He's like, I'm not, I'm not worried about the assignment. I'm not worried about the task. First and foremost, I just need you to rest in the fact that I'm going to provide for you what you need. My power, it's my authority, my resources. Before we start worrying about the task, we've got to rest in the identity. Listen, whatever it is that he's calling you into, he's going to provide for it. I, I mean, you've heard, most, most of you have heard stories of how God called us out of a really secure place and into a really terrifying thing of doing this with you. Like, whatever he calls you into, he's able to provide for. This is also something I've learned in some of those hard seasons where I've had to actually trust in his provision, trust in his power. There's a lot of things that we do. We don't have to trust in his power for. When he puts you in something hard enough, you actually have to. I've learned some stuff from that. And one of the things I've learned is that if, if you're able to live the life that you have in mind without him, that's probably not what he's called you into. If you, if you, if you have this life in mind that is just easy and secure, like if, it's, if you don't need him in the vision you have for your future, then that's probably not what he's called you into. That's what you've called you into. A life with no dependency, no need for trust, no need for his resourcing. Like, if that's what you're imagining for yourself, I think God's calling me into a life of ease and security where I don't need him. That doesn't sound right, does it? Like, a life that doesn't need the power of Christ is not engaged in the mission of Christ. I just need that to rest on you for a minute. Like, a life that doesn't need the power of Christ isn't engaged in the mission of Christ. Do you want to be engaged in the mission of Christ? Like, then you're going to have to, gonna, it's going to be a life that, like, that his power and authority is a necessity for you. Like, I'm not going to be able to make it if he doesn't provide this. That's not what we're told to chase. Like in our culture, in our world, we are not told to chase a life of radical obedience to Jesus. We're not told to chase a life where we're living on an edge of needing him to provide. We're told to chase something else. Also, there's a word of encouragement here. Like those of you striving at chasing Jesus, those of you who are being discipled, those of you who are becoming disciple makers, I need you to remember the power behind all those efforts, it's not yours. You don't have to be the source of all wisdom and authority. Like you don't have, it's not, it doesn't rest on you. Like there is a power and authority greater than you that is empowering you to do the things that he's called you into. He's not gonna forsake you. He's enough. I just need you to encourage that. You're not on your own. So the second thing that Jesus provides, first he provides power and authority, right? But second, he provides purpose. Like look at verse two. It says he sent them out with purpose, like with a very specific mandate, a reason for their for their life for this time. He said he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. All right, how many of you are wondering what to do with the rest of your life? What comes next? Yeah, all of you. Everybody in the room, put your hand up. Great. All right, we're all in it together. I mean, I don't care if you're 68. I don't care if you're eight. All right, we're all wondering what is supposed to happen next. What am I supposed to do with my life? All of our college students, all of our high school students, all of our children, all, every single one of our adults, like all of us are in this. Like, what do we do next? Like adults, like those of us who are, um, I don't know when you're an adult. Just decide for yourself in your own mind right now. But like, if you're in here with me, right, mortgage and kids and stuff. I mean, like, do you find yourself, like, what do you, what do, you do if you find yourself in, a, in like a job that you've been in like the last five years that's just kind of whatever? Like, ah, that's fine. 
There's not a lot of purpose. I know this is something I, I just do. Or the days are pretty much all the same. Wake up, do all the tasks you have to do. You go to a job, you do all the tasks you have to do there. You come back, you do some more tasks that you have to do. You sit down, you make some food. Turn your brain off for a little while. You go to bed, you get up the next morning and do the exact same thing. And in certain scary moments, you wonder, like, is this it? This, is this it? Is this what I was placed on this planet to do? Wake up, get a couple of tasks done, go to bed, do the same thing all over again. Is that my purpose? It's a scary thing for us as adults who have, like, set the course of our life. And like, we've, we've built some stuff around that kind of pattern and to ask that question like is is this the purpose that I was that I'm called to or like our high school students our college students in the room like do you look ahead to the future desperate to know what you're going to do but also secretly worry that it's 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 going to be kind of empty like I'm going to put all this time and energy like fighting for this like moment of security but I'm kind of I'm secretly behind the scenes you're worried if like that life is going to matter there's a fearfulness in all of us about this, like this idea of purpose. Does my life matter? Like, is there any significance here? Does, does any of this count for anything? Like, I, I don't think the Lord intended us to have to struggle with that question. I think we place ourselves sometimes in situations where we're, we've, uh, we've, uh, we've built enough security where we don't need him. And what we've ended up doing is building a life of absence of purpose. It didn't have to be like that. Listen, Jesus didn't, like, he didn't bundle his followers up and, like, just keep them tight and close. That was not his goal. That's what you're seeing him doing in this passage. He's not like, you know what, let's just huddle up together. We'll just stay safe. That's not what he's doing. He had a greater purpose for them than that. He has a greater purpose for you than that. Purpose that matters. Well, he, he, sinned, he gives them their purpose. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. This is a short-term training mission for the apostles, but the main part of like the, the core idea of what they're sent to do, this is who we are. This is what believers are called to do. This is the purpose that we've been given, to go proclaim the kingdom of God and to like love people well. There's significance in that. There's purpose. Like, that's what my life is for. Christian, that's what your life is for. Like your life is supposed to have purpose beyond just keeping it together. Greater purpose than just paying bills and saving up for a vacation every once in a while. Greater purpose than like building a castle with enough fortresses around it that you don't have to fear. Purpose big enough that it actually impacts eternity. That's what you're made for. It's a really heartbreaking thing to see people who find Jesus but miss the mission. They get to that, that, that miss the significance and like getting to be a part of the thing that Jesus enabled, invited you into. It's a heartbreaking thing to watch. But Jesus has his 12 and he, he provides the purpose, he provides the power, he provides the authority, but he also withheld some things, which is interesting. I just intentionally withheld some stuff from the disciples. Like, when you're reading, I was like, honestly, to make it harder. Why would Jesus want people to do hard things? Jesus wants you to do hard things. Doesn't he want you to have to be pretty? All right, verse three. He said to them, take nothing for your journey. I want you to go, all right? I want you to go, do some crazy stuff, all right? I want you to go pray to God. I want you to heal. I got a demon's whole thing going on, all right? 
I don't want you to take nothing with you. And then like Thomas is like, what? I, don't, I, mean, you, I mean, you take nothing, they take, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Don't bring an extra tunic. If you get one wet, it's just going to have to drip dry, okay? Like just, you just got the one tunic. That's all you get. At least two broad categories are in there, right? Like if you just were trying to figure out what he's trying to do. First is comfort. So if he's withholding something, he's, he's intentionally withholding some comfort for them for this training exercise, right? Some of you, when you pack, um, you pack it all, right? Like you have to fly Southwest because they let you check those two bags for free and you have to weigh them both and they both weigh 51 pounds. I remember being in student ministry and like we'd load up to go on these retreats and these little 60 pound girls that had their dad roll up like a shed size suitcase, you know? And I'm like, what is in here? And they would start, I mean, every hair device known to God like is in this bag along with enough clothes for everyone. Everyone could wear this 60 pound kid's clothes for the next week and we'd all, it'd look weird, but we'd be fine, you know? She's got it all, she's got it, we're covered. Some of you pack like that, right? Because you're like, what if I need it? Sometimes Jessica and I pack and we'll get these massive bags out and she's like, I super well way overpacked. And I'm like, what'd you pack for? We kind of packed for every possible scenario. You know, we don't want to be unprepared. We don't want to be uncomfortable, you know? What if it happens to be 30 degrees in Florida in August? I mean, I might need a jacket. How many of you taken a jacket to the beach? Stop. You don't need jackets at the beach in the summer. I don't know why you people wearing sweatshirts around the summer. That's not the way it's intended to be. All right, stop it. Comfort. To train the disciples, Jesus withheld comfort. No staff, no bag, no tunic. He, he withheld comfort. Why do you think he did that? Well, Jesus is training disciple makers and he's with, intentionally withheld comfort. Why would he do that? Why would he, why would, why would he, why would he want them to be a little uncomfortable? Why would he want you to be a little uncomfortable? He didn't just withhold comfort, he also withheld security, right? So you got bread and money on here. Those are like the big ones for me. Those hit, I don't care about this stuff. I mean, I can wear the same pair of jeans like the rest of my life. I mean, I'm fine, you know? But you get to bread and money, like you can't bring any food and you can't bring any money. Well, if I don't have any money, how do I buy food? I like food. Seems important, you know? It's like you can't bring it with you and you can't buy it when you're there. So just, I don't know, man. Figure it out. What is he doing? Like, everybody assumes that Jesus is concerned with their sake. There's no security in that. He's removing their source of security. You got no food. You got no money. You cannot provide for yourself. You do not have security. And our security is tied to our safety. So everybody, like, we all assume that Jesus is really concerned with our security and our safety. Don't you? Jesus wouldn't want you to be anywhere unsafe, would he? He wouldn't intentionally put you in a situation that lacked security. Isn't? your safety and your security of the utmost importance to Jesus? There's far more important things in the kingdom than safe and comfortable. There's a whole lot more important stuff that Jesus is trying to build into you than safe and comfortable. There's so far more important things that the Father's trying to give you and invite you into than a life that's just safe and comfortable. There's some things way better than that. He's invited you out from under the covers of safe and warm and into a life of purpose. Filled with his power, like gifted with his authority, like 
do things that matter. But you got to get out from under the covers. Honestly, I think that things that we count as radical, like in our culture, in our time, things that we count as insane, Jesus counts as like Tuesday. I don't, it's, you know, but you can stay under those covers nice and safe and warm. You can hide yourself from the significance and the calling and the impact that the Lord wants to make through your life. He'll let you stay in safe and warm. He's wanting to send you outside of that. So why did Jesus give these things and withhold these things from the 12 going out? What was he trying to train into them? Because I want to know that because if, I, want to, I want to train disciple makers the way Jesus trained disciple makers. What's he doing? I think he's trying to teach them trust and dependency. Right? And then the same way he's trying to do, he's trying to teach them trust and dependency. He's removing comfort, he's removing security, he's sending them out, giving them what they actually need. They're just saying, no, I want you to trust in my power and authority. I don't want you to trust in your stuff. He's trying to teach them trust and dependency. Leaving safe and warm is the only way to learn trust and dependency. You cannot learn to really trust the Lord, to really depend on the Lord until you actually have to. You can have a cognitive understanding that he's going to provide for you, but you don't trust it until you've actually had to lean on it. When we started planting this church, we started, like, left every piece of security that we had. The thing people, I, I would talk, they like, how are you? I'm, it's rough. And this is my line. This is what I said, and I actually meant this. I said, everything that I've always said about the Lord has to be true now. Where previously it didn't have to be. Where, like, I built a life where I didn't need it to be true. I could handle it. He pulls you out into something like that, pulls you out into something hard where safety and security and comfort are removed. Like all of a sudden, you learn trust and dependency in a different way when you actually have to lean on. Let me ask you this. What are you currently dependent on? Let me ask you a better question. Like, what, what would you worry you couldn't survive without? What are the things like immediately in your head pop up? Like, I don't know if I could survive without that. Those are the things that you're dependent upon. You may get in your business for a second. Good, I'm going to. What if the Lord removed your future picture of success and you weren't successful? Would you survive that? <laughs> what if the Lord removed your phone from you for a week? One time, me. Lord did. We were driving to the beach, um, and I was kept talking about how I just really wanted to be able to disconnect. And uh, then my phone like freaked out, and so we stopped at the Apple Store in Montgomery. And the guy's like, "Dude, I got to mail your phone off." And I'm like, "Yeah, but what do I do without one?" He's like, "I don't know." And he mailed my phone to like California or something. I about lost my mind. Like, big one's a small one. What about your dating relationship? What if God removed the person that you're dating? Said, nope. Don't need that anymore. Did you survive? Is he enough for you? What if you never got to be married? You're all like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Legitimately, like, what if, what if, what if he called you um, past, safe, and comfortable to the point that you're not called to be married? What if God removed your job security? 
those have like legit things to pay for. You got a mortgage, you got some kids. What if God removed your job security? Would you be able to say yes? I'm not saying he's going to, but what if he did? What if, what if you never got to move to Denver, you never got to move to Nashville, you never got to move down the street from Mama? Is that too high of a bar? What are you dependent on? And I'm not saying any of those things are bad things, like, but I'm just saying, what if Jesus invited you out of safe and warm and worried <laughs> and taught you how to actually trust him, depend on him? Would you, be, would you be able to? Would you be willing to say yes? Or is there some things that you're so dependent on that, you, that he couldn't pull you into anything else better? I've been there. Jesus, uh, later when he sends out the, the disciples in subsequent times, he, he doesn't send them the same way. He sends, tells them to take some money, tells them to take a sword, like tells them to take things, with, like tells them to be prepared. But this instance, he's saying, listen, for this time, I need you first to learn dependency. It is a severe mercy for the Lord to help you learn dependency. Uh, and some of you are in a season right now where that's where he's trying to teach you. He's removing some safety, removing some security, removing some comfort. You're uncomfortable, and it is not fun. I, 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 I just want to suggest that potentially the thing that he's, he's hoping that you'll grasp onto is trust and dependency in him instead of yourself. The far more stable foundation. And so press into that opportunity. Like if, if God's giving you the opportunity to learn, so like learn trust and dependency, press into that and say, God, I, I, I want to learn how to actually depend on you and lean on you. I, wanna, I don't want to be so afraid of whatever you might call me into that I'm going to miss out on a life that matters. Let him teach you. So he gave him some things. He withheld some things. What did he tell him to do? Where did he send them? He says first, he, like verse four, he sent them where they could make impact. Verse 4 says, whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. He's saying, basically, like, you're going to have to go depend on somebody else to invite you in and take care of you. Like, just, like, trust that. Find the soft places. Find the places where you're invited in and, like, be okay with that. Don't keep bouncing around and running all over the place. Like, if, if when you go, as you try to share, as if people invite you in or are willing to listen, like, just stay there. Do good work there. Don't keep flitting all over the place. Like, just be faithful where you find opportunity. Find the places of peace. Find those places of openness. Some of you need to hear that. Like you're not intended to have 7,000 half-inch deep relationships. Find those opportunities where God is giving you space to invest in somebody, to make impact, and then be faithful there. Love deeply. And love well. Where did he release them from? Where did he tell them not to go? Verse 5 says, wherever they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against you. He's like, listen, like he released them from standing at closed doors. He's like, there's going to be a lot of places that you're going to go and the door's going to be slammed in your face. Like you don't have to stand there. Like the principle for me and you is like, we're not, we don't have to just stand there banging on closed doors. Do we give up? No. What do we stand there and just bang on the door? And like just pray, ask God to change the condition of the soil. Ask God to make openness abound. But like my and your job is not just stand there banging on closed doors. Move on to the next place of openness. That's a hard thing to do. Because in my self-sufficiency, I think that if I bang hard enough on a door, eventually I'm going to get through it. That's not my work. That's the Lord's work. Some of you this morning just need to hear like, like, we don't give up, but we don't keep standing there banging on a closed door. We pray for the Lord to open doors. We don't open the doors. 
But what can we do? When doors remain closed, like we shift strategy. Some of you have hit some closed doors recently, and it's discouraging. It's hard. Jesus knew that was going to happen. He sent them out telling them it was going to happen. What I would tell you to do in the, the, the closed doors that you face in your relationships, until it's closed to the gospel, like, I'm not interested in having this conversation with you. Do not bring this up again. Like, I would just encourage just to pray. Ask God to change people's hearts and trust that he's going to. There's people I've spent 20 years praying for. God's been faithful to answer those prayers. There's some people I'm still praying for. I'm going to be ticking off those years, man, until God does this work. I know that God can soften even the hardest hearts. Some of you sitting here, some of the people we've had the privilege to get to baptize have been people that when they first interacted with somebody else, like first interacted with the gospel, their heart was shut down. God is restored. God's redeemed. He's faithful. He's able. We rest in that. All right, so he withheld some things. He gave them some things. He gave them some things to do, some things not to do. And then what did the people do? Verse 6, they actually went and did this. Jesus said, I want you to go somewhere and hope you find some soft spots people to engage with. Don't bring anything to eat. Don't bring any extra clothes. Don't bring any money with you. Just go give it a shot. And they're like, okay. And they did it. Would you have done this? As I'm not sure he's not calling you into something similar. I'm not saying the same, the same way is going to look the same, but... Something just as reckless. Verse 6 says, they departed, went through the villages, and they just did that. They preached the gospel, and they were healing people. That's what they did. They went and shared truth with compassion. I'm called to do that same thing. Not because of where I sit on Sundays. Because of who I sit under. As a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm called to... Share truth with compassion, same as you. But my security and my comfort, my warm and cozy gets in the way of that all the time. This truth that these people went out to share, like this is what they were, I mean, this is, this is it. This is the message. Like these people had met Jesus, these, these 12 that he's sending out. They had actually they'd met him, spent time with him. They'd seen the truth and the authority. They'd seen the love in this guy, right? They'd come to trust him enough to trust in his power. Trust in his authority enough to actually go. And so they went, and they just shared what they'd seen and heard. There was no, you know, script. There was no, like, magical, you know, three-step formula. They're just sharing what they'd seen and heard. They'd met the Savior, and they told people about that. Here's what I've seen and heard. Here's what, personally, like, here's what I've seen and heard. I've seen that Jesus loves me perfectly. Walking, walking around the building this morning, like I was reminded, I just had to sit there and rest in the fact that Jesus loved me perfectly, that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and paid for all of my sinfulness to literally come and rescue me. That he offered himself as a gift, not just to me, but to you as well. That, that rescue mission was for you as much as it was for me. And until the point that I came to trust in Jesus, that gift had been waiting on me my whole life. He'd already extended it, and all I had to do was just say yes. There's some of you here this morning that have heard a lot about Jesus. That you, you've, you've, some of you have been around church your whole life. You've heard the stories, you've heard all the things, but you've never accepted the gift. There's others of you here this morning that like the whole idea of, of, of Christianity actually carrying weight is very new to you. And you've been investigating, you've been trying to feel things out, you've been meeting with some people, talking with some people, deciding like, is this something I'm actually willing to trust my life to? 
that gift's been available to you, that rescue's been available to you your whole life, that purpose, that, that, that meaning that has been offered you. It's waiting on you right now this morning. But Jesus is not in the business of forcing himself on us. He's offered himself to us. And it's up to you what you're going to do about that. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, like if you've never fallen back like out of your control into his grace, you can do that this morning. That, that gift is waiting on you this morning. Like You can say yes to Jesus and like receive that re- redemption, that salvation, that forgiveness. You can walk out of here different. And so in just a minute, our band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a time of response. And our, guys are gonna, our, our team's going to be back here at Next Steps. There's going to be some men and women back there in Next Steps that are willing to talk with you and pray with you about what that would look like. If you said, listen, I, I've known a lot about Jesus, but I've never trusted him as my Savior. I'd love to talk with you about that. As our band comes, there's three questions that I have for you this morning, all right? One of these you're going to need to answer. Maybe two, I don't know. All right, so I, I know people are moving, but there's three questions I really want you to wrestle with. Otherwise, there's no point in any of this. The first question is this, like, are you willing to leave safe and warm to be a part of the mission? The safe and warm, like, is, is are you... It's a legitimate question because it's not just a given that you're going to leave safe and warm. Most people never do. Are you willing to leave safe and warm for the sake of the mission? Actually getting to like walk in his power, actually getting to walk in his authority and his provision. Like, do you want to get to walk with him or do you want to hang on to the covers? What are you going to do? The second question is this, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? Like the 12 made a choice to go and trust him, or I guess they had the chance to say no. He didn't force them. He's not going to force you either. Willing to go. Like, Lord, here I am. Send me wherever you want, whatever the cost. To my neighbor, to my office, to family. Tuscaloosa, to UA, to the nations, to the next city we plant in. Like, Lord, here I am. Send me. Are you willing to say, like, put your yes on the table? If he calls you, are you willing to go? Because in one of those contexts, even if it's the person in the room next door to you where you sleep, he's called you to go. He's called you to share that truth in love. But we gotta let go of safe and warm enough to actually be the people that go. The first question, are you willing to leave safe and warm? The second question, are you willing to go? The third question is just, for those of you who have never trusted Jesus, have, are you, have you accepted the gift? In a room like ours, like every week, there's, there's dozens of people who haven't yet, people who have heard about Jesus who, but never given up the control, never fallen back in the gospel. Grace and love and the mercy of the Lord. Maybe you haven't been able to get to the point where you're willing to give up living life your own way. Maybe you think your sin is too great. Maybe you think that you're afraid of what he's gonna call you into. Maybe there's just some questions that you still haven't, taking the time to wrestle down. Are you gonna let barriers like that stand in the way of what's possible? I'm telling you, I'm like this side of Jesus, like the side of Jesus I stand on, having trusted him, having getting to live life with him, like I cannot imagine missing out on what he's invited you into. Say yes to Jesus this morning. I'm not asking you to say yes to knowing about Jesus or agreeing that a God exists. I'm asking you to say yes to Jesus saving you, rescuing you. you trusting in what he did on the cross for you and saying, yeah, I, I, I believe it. I, I, I want to receive that forgiveness and I want to live my life following you instead of me. I want to live a life that matters. 
say yes this morning. Some of you need to talk with somebody about any of those things. Some of you, like your, your yes has not been on the table. Safe and warm has been on the table for you. And you need to go pray with somebody about what it looks like to say no to safe and warm, to say yes to the mission. Some of you need to say yes to being sent. Like I've been wrestling with whether God's, what God's calling me into. I just need to be available. Would you just pray for me to be available? Some of you need to go back to one of those people and be like, listen, I've never trusted Jesus as my savior. I, want, I, I don't wanna leave this room until I know that I've been forgiven. So as I pray and our band leads, it's gonna be the time for you to get up and head back to the next steps back there and just let somebody pray with you. Those things that are on your heart, once you express those to somebody else, spirit moves in a different way. I'm hopeful, I'm praying that those people back there have a line waiting on them to pray with. Are you gonna miss out on the mission for safe and warm?